0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman with my wonderful co-host EJ Snyder. Uh, got another two-parter this week for you. First episode this week is going to be recapping the division round and everything that happened in those games and kind of, um, you know, talking about the adjustments they made therein, schematic stuff, X's and O stuff, uh, some emotional and mental stuff, you know, talking about the, the intangible part of the game because I think that played a factor in a couple of these as well. So we have a, a pretty deep dive on everything that happened this past weekend, and then part two coming, uh, I think, the day after this week. We're going to do a, a special entirely dedicated to the conference championship previews using everything that we learned from these recaps, trying to translate it forward into the conference championship game. So uh, we have a lot to go over. I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. EJ, how you doing? I'm great. I'm looking forward to it. We had
0: good football. Yes, we'll talk about Giants-Eagles. Eh, it was sort of expected. The other three games I thought were very entertaining in their own right. We'll have a lot to say about those. And the two games we have coming are, like you said, some of the best games of the year. If you, from about the midpoint of the season, said, so if it shook out with the strongest two teams on each side... Who do you think it would be? This probably would have been about a 75 or 80% consensus. Maybe Bill's getting into the AFC mix still in the middle of the year, but as the year wound on, this feels like we got four really solid teams at the end playing for
1: all the marbles.
0: This is the best.
1: Definitely feels like, uh, you know, compared to some past years we have, we have uh, even matchups in the conference championship games this this year. So excited to get to that. But before we do, we have four divisional round games that we have to recap and kind of talk about how we got here, how things played out compared to how we expected, and what these games mean for the conference championships. We're going to start with Jags Chiefs. And, you know, going into the Jags game, I actually thought that um, – from an entire like, top-down view. I did say the Chiefs were going to win, but I said the Jags were going to cover. Both of those things happened, but for entirely different reasons than I thought, right? Um, like the Chiefs won, but for a different reason than I thought, and the Jags covered, but for a different reason than I thought. To me, if I'm going to be giving any sort of like MVP award out to Chiefs players, it's got to go to Chad Henney. The difference in the game, oddly enough, was Chad Honey, which nobody... Predicted going into this one, but when Mahomes went out uh, late in the first quarter, and then he came back in, gutted it out, got to the quarter break, and then I think they got a field goal in that drive. Uh, defense forced a punt from Jacksonville right after that, and then in like mid to late second quarter, Henney comes in for his first drive because Mahomes is pissed. He's got to go to the locker room. He's got to get his ankle looked at, X-rays, all that kind of stuff. So they're they're at the two yard line, right? Chad Henney, when this game is teetering on a knife's edge, it's like 10-7 KC, it could go either way, launches a 98-yard 12-play drive to get a touchdown and make it a two-possession game, 17-7, uh, which then, you know, with, with how long the drive took, it was like a 6 six-and-a-half-minute six drive, 12 plays. It kind of limited the number of possessions that Jacksonville then had for the remainder of the half. Jacksonville only had one good possession in the entire second quarter Um, and so to me that one drive was was kind of what won it for Casey because their defense was playing well overall I know that Jacksonville did have some some big mischances there was the drop by Kirk there was the other drop by Ingram actually Kirk had a couple pretty key drops in this one Um, you know there were some blown protections here and there that I was kind of like what what are we doing here folks (laughs) like this is weak 19 or whatever it is, like we shouldn't be blowing simple protections against fire zone, but they were, um, you know, but overall the Chiefs defense played well, even though the Jags did have some missed opportunities. But that one drive that kind of bought the Chiefs time to stabilize and get Mahomes back, even though he was hobbled and he could barely move around. It gave them some breathing room and time to recover at halftime without either being even or being in a hole. You know, going up, not big, but big enough at halftime to regroup was huge from a a, a mental standpoint to me. Because it it still gave them the confidence of like, okay, Pat isn't out-out. He's coming back in. We have a lead. Play good defense. Run the ball. Don't turn it over. We're going to win. And they did that. They ran the ball well with Pacheco. They played Mostly pretty good defense. Again, Jacksonville, you could blame some of their own mistakes on that. You know, uh, a really bad fumble from Agnew late, you know, the drops, everything like that. But overall, still good defense. They didn't turn the ball over, and they just survived, and they held on, and and they did what contending teams do, which is if you give the opponent an opening, you stabilize, and if they give you an opening, you capitalize on it. That's the difference between Jacksonville and the chiefs is Jacksonville had an opening starting quarterback is out. Backup is in hasn't played all year and they couldn't capitalize. They couldn't score and they couldn't get him off the field. And that was it. I think the Jags are a good team. They will be back next year, but that that critical difference in capitalizing versus not capitalizing is literally what separates the good from the great. The chiefs are great. They survived They'll have a tougher matchup this week. Um, But I think credit to them and especially credit to Chad Henney for literally saving the day.
0: It's a huge difference. And the one you bring up, I think that's probably most important was holding together the Chiefs and the Chiefs kingdom psyche to have when you have a hero. If we want to go to a classical reference, you have that one guy that can beat everybody. You have Achilles, right? And you see that guy go down. There's a moment where you go, oh crap, that's our chance. That guy represents our everything, our ability to win. And Chad Henney, of all people, comes in as the understudy to Achilles and says, ah, I got it. I'm going to play really solid football. and That's what he did. He didn't go above and beyond. There were no 50-yard bombs out of Chad Henney. His average depth of target was 3.7 yards, but it worked. (laughs) And it looked like that, but he did it efficiently. He did it professionally. He did it the way he was supposed to. He did exactly what a backup quarterback is supposed to do, but he did it in a really, really big spot. And mentally, it was a huge spot for Kansas City, and it did let them take a breath, take a beat, realize okay we got this we can score even with Henny all right everybody else keep playing yeah yeah guys keep playing Chad's able to do it that was tremendously important and the other play that the other point that you brought up that I think is in play here for both teams and we're it's going to be a theme for this show we're going to talk about it multiple times throughout these games is that championship difference and you highlighted it perfectly making the big play when it's drawn up in the big moment is the difference the Jags as you said in the preview show had them again schematically it's not that the plays weren't there it's not that they didn't come open like Christian Kirk was open the ball did hit him in the hands he didn't catch it and it's so schematically they had them and before Chiefs fans go schematically doesn't matter they didn't Execute, and that's the difference. You Mm -hmm. have to make the play when it's drawn up. Having it drawn up, getting open, it's all good. You got to catch it, you got to score, you got to get out of bounds. We'll talk about all this other stuff later on, but that's the difference. And so the Jags are right there. They were not pretenders, they're not frauds. They pushed Kansas City a lot at home. Yes, I know Mahomes was hobbled, but you play the hand, you're dealt. And they lost by a touchdown because they couldn't execute, not just on one play, not just on the shot play to Kirk, but on multiple plays, they had their chances. They were there. Their coaching staff put them in position to make those plays and win this game, and they didn't do it. And they're going to have to think about that in the offseason. It's not that they can't. That's a very different thing. They're not lacking the talent. They're going to have to find that edge where they can complete those plays when they come together in those biggest moments.
1: It, it's just, it's, I I understand Jags fans' pain. That's what I'm trying to get out of here. It, it, is the whole offseason, they're going to be like, well, what if Kirk caught that ball? What if Agnew didn't fumble out of nowhere? It's not like it was a forced fumble. He just fumbled. Yep. You know, it's like, what if, what if, uh, you know, Trevor gets the rough in the passer call that, that Henny got, you know, because they're very comparable plays. And it's a what if, what if, what if type game because it, it is like three or four plays that are the difference in playoff football and either you make them or you don't either you catch the ball or you don't either you fumble it or you don't and i think when you're looking at a good team versus a great team those four plays is literally the difference literally the difference and i want to say a couple of things
0: about the chiefs talk about the jaguars to start There's about three things that I think are really important here. One plays with the Jaguars. Look, if the Jaguars couldn't beat Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes hobbling around on one leg in the state he was in, they're going to have to work twice as hard next time because I, too, believe they will be back. And if Mahomes is healthy, that game looks very different. The Jags are going to have to be that much better plus to win it. But Mm -hmm. focusing purely on the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes has been to five straight AFC championship games. Yep. I'm just going to let that settle for a second. One guy has been playing for the ability to represent the conference in the Super Bowl five straight times, which represents every year he's played a full season. He's never (laughs) missed it as a starter. Right. Every time he's been a starter, he's gone all the way to the end, right, in the conference. Hasn't been to the Super Bowl every year, but he's been – He's had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Every single year he's been a starter. That's not normal. It's not easy, and it's not to be taken for granted. What you're watching is a historic run from a player. This is I've watched a lot, a lot, a lot of football. This is not regular stuff. This is irregular stuff, so pay attention to it. It's not an accident. He's surrounded by a good organization, but he himself is a transcendent football player. He is a really, really, really good football player. And the other one is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a hypnotist. There's no other explanation. Every week, very smart analysts. This week it was Lewis Riddick and Will Blackman and a bunch of other guys going, you got to cover Travis Kelsey, which all of us say every single week. It's not Mm -hmm. like Travis Kelsey gets forgotten about. He is the leading tight end in the league. He is one of the best players overall at his position in the entire league. This is not a guy you forget about. And this is a guy that makes the play over and over and over and over again for the touchdown, for the big third down conversion, to get him in range for the field goal. Every time it's Kelsey and every time everybody shouts, how did you lose Travis Kelsey? And it's like the two things can't be equal. You can't have a primary shining star in the league who puts up huge stats and is the focal point of that entire very good team's offense and everybody on the other side going, I can't believe you forgot about him. (laughs) Nobody's forgetting about him. Nobody forgets about Travis Kelsey, and they still can't cover him. I think he is a hypnotist. He lines up across from his defender, and he's like, this is not the tight end you're looking for, and he goes and gets open because he does it every single time and every week. Very smart football people shout, you can't forget about Travis Kelsey. Nobody's forgetting about him, and he's still getting open every time and making the play. That is not easy, regular, or to be taken for granted. You are also watching another Transcendent player at a different position doing his thing. He will go to the Hall of Fame. He fully deserves it. It is ridiculous that he stacks the results week after week that he does, and it looks like everybody's forgotten to cover him. Nobody forgot to
1: cover him. He got open every single time. It's crazy. I mean, there's a reason why on the prize pick slip, and this I think was the only one that actually hit for me in this game, but. Um, his over under on receiving yards was 81 and a half. And I was like, the Jags play more man covers than almost everybody else. They're like 40% man coverage and they don't got anybody that can cover Travis. So pump that one up. And I think he hit it like, I don't know, five minutes into the third quarter, something like that. So he it, had an amazing just, first easy. half, an amazing first half. I, I do. I want to put it in perspective a little bit. Uh, you know, you mentioned the five straight AFC championship games to start a, to start a, Starting career, right? Because he was on the bench for a year. There were kids in the Kansas City area that were born when Mahomes was drafted that have grown up knowing nothing but AFC Championship games. They had their little Chiefs onesies as newborns. Now they got their Mahomes jerseys. They can talk and form complete sentences and cheer and cry and laugh and experience the full joys of football. And they've never not known an AFC Championship game. There's going to be some elementary school teacher in Missouri someday, not not this year, someday is going to have a, a classroom full of kids that are going to miss their first conference championship game in, like, second or third grade, maybe fourth, maybe fifth at this point. And they're just going to have, like, 30 depressed children in front of them that won't have weekend plans in late January for the first time ever. But it's not this year, EJ. It's not this no. year. And, I, you know... Hail to the king. This is why we picked him to win the division, despite all the offseason hype of the AFC West. This is why you really never lose faith in the Chiefs, because as long as that dude is there running fucking read option on one leg, they're the best, man. They're the best until proven otherwise. Well, there is one exception to that. The Big Bad Bengals, but we'll we'll, we'll we'll get to them in a little bit. We'll get to them in a little bit. Everybody else, though, the other 15 teams in the AFC. Yeah, Chiefs of the Big Bad Wolf. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, You need Indeed. Uh, Let's get to Giants-Eagles. This one we'll probably spend the least amount of time on for Giants fans' sake, because I know they don't want to relive too much of this, but it was a complete talent mismatch in every single way, shape, and form. I I said it on Twitter that night, but I'll say it again here. This game was more, to me, the legacy of Dave Gettleman than anybody in the Giants' building right now. That includes Dable. That even includes Daniel Jones, in my opinion, because... We know what Daniel Jones is at this point for the most part. He, he's fine. He is a fine quarterback that you can make a playoff run with and you can beat a bunch of teams and you can get to the show, right? And he's really athletic. He's a good dude. Studies hard. Locker room loves him. Um, you know, executes quick game really well. Gets out of sacks. Gets out of pressure. All, oddly amazing in the red zone. But there are limitations, You know, there are limitations, and I think that he is not the quarterback that can elevate this roster to competing against an actual championship-caliber roster. I think he's a top-16 quarterback, but he's not a top-five quarterback. You know, we saw Joe Burrow go to the Super Bowl with an absolute garbage offensive line. That's a top-five quarterback. You know, we, we saw Josh Allen drag that Bills offense, kicking and screaming, to many wins this year as their leading rusher and leading thrower, with their only consistent receiver being Stephon Diggs. That's a top-five quarterback. We saw Patrick Mahomes win a divisional round game on one leg. (laughs) That's a top-five quarterback. D'Angelo Jones is not that. He is fine, but he is not that. And I think that looking at Dave Gettleman's legacy, with the cap difficulties that he put them in, and the not good roster that he put together that this regime was saddled with, they put Daniel Jones in a no-win scenario where he had to go out there and try to go blow for blow with arguably the best team in the entire league. And that's not fair to DJ. It's really not. And I'm not trying to shit on the guy because he's fine. He's good. Like, you can win with him. But you cannot march him out there to get absolutely blasted for four straight quarters by an absolute juggernaut and expect any other result. You know, like we knew what was going to happen here and it happened. Giants had a great year. Dable is coach of the year to me. He's incredible. You know, they they have the structure in place to be in the playoffs every single year. But I think the divisional round more than maybe even we expected. It it showed that there's a larger gap between the top four programs in the league, than than everybody else, you know. And I, I think the gap between the best team and the eighth best team, if you want to say that's the Giants, right? I think the gap between number one and number eight is far larger than between number eight and number thirty-two. And it's, it's almost reminiscent of college football in a way, you know, there's a lot of, there there's, there's very few haves. There's a lot of have nots right now. And the giants are trying to get to the have level, but without money and without more draft picks because of the the state that Gettleman left them in, that's not going to happen. So I think that again, structure is there coach. We love GM. We love quarterback. We're fine with, but they're two years away. They're two years away, and if you watch that game, I don't know how you can think they're anything other than two years away. They'll get there, but not soon.
0: Quarterback's thing, and we'll talk about it. Daniel Jones, he had a great season. He had one of his best seasons ever, his most successful season ever for sure. The Giants had a good run. There's nothing to be taken away from that. They exceeded pretty much all expectations, maybe except their own. Mm -hmm. But make no mistake, the best team won here, and by a lot. This was not a close football game. The Eagles gained, this blows my mind, 150 yards rushing before contact in the divisional round. Their, Their rushers got 150 yards before being touched in a divisional playoff game. Woof. There's nothing to say about that except, woof, that's crazy stuff. That is a huge gap. Daniel Jones, 135 yards passing. Yes, the Eagles pass rush, way better than the Vikings pass rush. We talked about that and how much different it was going to look because of that. Eagles secondary, way better than the Vikings secondary. Also, nasty combination to go up against. However, if everybody's looking at you, as the guy that's supposed to orchestrate playoff-level play from your offense as the quarterback, and you come out and toss up 135 yards passing against anybody, that's not it. And that is closer to his ceiling than his floor. Mm-hmm. Everybody looked at the Minnesota game and went, that's his ceiling. Mm. That's his ceiling against a very bad defense. That was That's an outlier game for him, the best game he's ever played as a pro. Good for him came in bright lights nice timing i appreciate it if you expect that as even a near average result for most of daniel jones game you haven't watched the bulk of his career it's gonna happen occasionally and occasionally is not going to win you championships you need Mm -hmm. to make a move to create a weapon at quarterback if you're the giants now how they do that we will see there's lots of options That's what the offseason's for. We're not going to talk (coughs) Anthony Richardson. No, excuse me. (laughs) Hmm. Saquon, six point eight per carry as the other main focus of the Giants offense. Saquon's a great player. They only gave it to him nine times. Twice more receiving, eleven touches for the game. Again, the Eagles will live with seven yards of carry from Saquon if he's getting it sub ten times. Like, even if he's getting it slightly more than 10 times, that's not going to kill them. Their offense can easily overcome anything that might be a result of that production. So they just lived with it. They were like, look, they're going to run him sub-10 times. He's going to get sub-7 yards a carry, which is a very good average. That's fine. That's Because what else are they going to do? Well, yeah. they're going to try and run Daniel Jones. We'll shut that down, too. Um Jalen on the other side didn't have very many yards, but he was efficient. Two TDs off of only 16 completions. He did what he needed to do. They, he didn't need to do more. We can argue about whether or not he could have. That's a different story. I said Goddard would be a factor, and he did, he was, with five catches for 58 and one of the two uh receiving TDs. Um again, somewhat expected. The Giants have been terrible against tight ends all year. And on the Philadelphia defensive side, Hassan Reddick, we haven't said his name enough this year. He (laughs) has been vicious as a rusher. And combine him with Josh Wett on Saturday night, and look, they harassed the Giants all night. They have lots of other rush threats. We're going to talk about those in depth as we get into this week's preview. But on Saturday, it was more than enough uh, to keep the Giants off balance and easily— put the eagles into
1: the conference championship game remember when the cardinals tried to make hassan reddick an inside linebacker
0: <laughs> if i'm a cardinals fan oh, I i'm am, so pissed uh, or a panthers fan like uh-huh. i am, i am so mad and i i know this feeling you know as as a fan of the team i'm a fan of there have been players that have moved on and had great careers elsewhere not a ton of them but they do and you're like why couldn't you see that why couldn't you find a way or your coaches find a way to leverage that ability and yeah if I'm a Cardinals fan looking at what Hassan Redick is doing in the Philadelphia organization I'm I'm just screaming into my pillow
1: I'm I'm willing honestly it gave me the most faith I've ever had in Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons because I'm just assuming like if they go somewhere else they're gonna be all pros you know like that's it's just, I swear to God, the Cardinals are a fucking black hole. It's it's unbelievable to me. Anyway, not to get too off topic. Uh, yeah, Giants, good year. They're not ready. Uh, I think the the point you made of of they exceeded everybody's expectations except their own is a valid one. They'll be back. Mm-hmm. They're just not quite ready for all of that. <laughs> you know, they're not quite ready to face down the beast and and it'll come out alive. They'll get there eventually. Giants fish just got to be patient. Um let's get to Bills Bengals. This was a sort of rematch of a game that we sort of got, but not really. I think we got like halfway through the first quarter before that game, you know, obviously got called because of the DeMar Hamlin uh injury, which he's thank God okay, doing well now. Um but we, we didn't really get to see a whole lot of these teams play against each other the first time around. So we weren't entirely sure what to expect. At least I wasn't entirely sure until I saw the inactives list. Because as soon as Daquan Jones was announced as not playing, I immediately had a concern. This defensive line was already not good at stopping the run right and we've gone over that multiple times about how they're atrocious against the zone or against zone runs against outside zone specifically they're like third worst epa per play average depth of tackle at almost five and a half yards like they're just terrible against zone because all of their interior defensive linemen except for daquan jones cannot work against these double teams they get blown off the ball You know, they're not good at stealing back gaps as defensive line coaches like to say. Like, Daquan Jones was the only reliable guy against both outside zone and inside zone, split zone, any type of zone. He was the only one they could rely on. So he's out. Then by the end of the game, they're down 80% of the starting secondary. There's been no Vaughn Miller for like two or three months at this point. Most of their starting defense that you and I saw week one, you know, tear the Rams apart. And so I, I wasn't exactly surprised um, based on all of these injuries that, you know, the Bengals walked up and down the field and scored at will, and they got like 27 points and they probably could have got more if they needed to. I wasn't shocked by that. Um, what I was shocked a little bit by was just how exhausted and done the Bills looked like they they looked discombobulated, and some Bills players have even mentioned it since that game of like everybody was just tired. Like this this team looked tired, they looked done from four minutes into the game. Like they looked like they just completely ran out of gas. Again, uh, every other interior lineman was getting blown off the ball, so Mixon was getting six yards of pop, Smajay was getting whatever he wanted. You know, Tremaine Emmons and Milano did their best, but if your defensive line's getting moved three yards down the field, there's only so much you can do. The The entire organization just looked done. And the Bengals looked fresh, even with 40% of their own starting offensive line in and 60% of it out. They looked physical. They looked angry, resentful. You know, like it, it, was, it was an incredible difference in – vibes i guess is the way to put it you know one team that just looks like they're bleeding out on the field and the other that looks like they're ready to eat them you know alive like it, it was it was not a fair fight it really wasn't it was not a fair fight and i did not expect to say that about bengals versus bills this year but just looking at all the injuries looking at at where these teams ended up in january it wasn't even close EJ. it really wasn't the wheels fell off
0: They finally did. The Bills' luck ran out in the snow in Buffalo. And let's be completely honest. I put up some stuff about Leslie Frazier and his future in Buffalo, and I got a bunch of Bills fans pushing back and saying, well, he's not responsible for injuries, and all the defensive starters have been out all year. That's disingenuous. That's not true. Yes, Vaughn Miller was a huge loss but they started the year without Trey White. He's back. They've lost both starting safeties for an amount of time, but they've both played. They've even played a little bit together. Linebacking core has been solid with Milano and Edmonds. Um, Lots of the defensive linemen they drafted haven't missed time. Like those high draft picks and some of those high-priced free agents, still there. Um, Daquan Jones has been there for almost every game except for this one. So saying that all of the Bills' defensive woes – Are due to injury to me rang a little bit hollow, especially when you're looking at the offensive line of the Bengals right across from them, missing 60% of their starters, and for the most part, not missing a beat, which we'll talk about in a second. But it's kind of poetic. We saw this train coming several times this season, and to the Bills' credit, they dodged it every time. (laughs) We said, man, if they don't get it together, if they don't balance it out, if, if Josh doesn't play smarter football, if, if the defense can't buck up against the run, we said that over and over again. They still made the divisional round of the AFC playoffs, but their luck ran out. And it was because of Lou Anarumo's defense. I don't want to say the Bills just lost this because the Bills came out flat. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. Lou Anarumo has made everybody look extremely human that he's faced for the last two years. So, Bill's credit, they've dodged this bullet a bunch of times. They weren't going to dodge it against a very good team. And yes, on top of that, they looked tired. They looked flat. They looked like they didn't have any answers, and they started to come apart. I would say don't underestimate several things. Injury, for sure, it factors in. It does with all teams, and there were some key ones. Trauma. This whole organization has been through a bunch and yes we got a good and lucky result damar hamlin was actually in the stadium to witness the game that's tremendous that is the most important thing don't underestimate the cost to all of these players and their mental health and their psyche and their will to go out and do this they're tired they're mentally tired from all that and they looked it that's a thing too But before anybody gets heated about how I'm heaping on the bills, again, Lou Anarumo has done this to everybody. For the last two years, for the top-tier quarterbacks he's faced, and this is courtesy of our buddy Ben Solak, the average EPA per drop back is .03. That's equal to Mac Jones this year, for those of you that aren't familiar (laughs) with EPA. He's made the top quarterbacks. We're talking about Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Lamar, and 2021 Aaron Rodgers, not 2022 Aaron Rodgers. He's made them all look like Mac Jones this year. That's not an accident. His defense is excellent. The fact he's not getting head coaching nods is a little bit of smoke and mirrors, too. I'm not sure. What's up with that? I'm not sure if he doesn't want it or some guys don't. Some guys just don't want the head job. Maybe lose that guy. I'm not sure. I don't know anything about him. But the fact that he's not being mentioned based on what he has created with what he has to work with is... Stunning, staggering, intriguing, whatever adjective you want to put on it. Um he used Mike Hilton like a missile in this one. And it was crazy effective. And he brought him from weird depths, angles for sure, but he brought him from deep a couple times. Josh never saw him. He had four pressures on five rushes. Mm -hmm. That's a cornerback. That's a basically a deep nickel blitz. Um, he did it over and over again,
1: and the Bills not only did they not have any answer they didn't even look like they saw it well right right tackle on on the last one the last four fumble that josh got detonated on right tackle fucked that one up and mitchell schwartz was was talking about it uh on twitter where like josh slid the slid the protection that way because they had rushed him four (laughs) times leading up to that so josh did a half slide it's a three-man slide against two down linemen and hilton expecting that if hilton came Right tackle would pass off. I think it was a heavy five in front of him. Pass that off to the guard and then expand out and pick up Hilton. Uh, Didn't do that. (laughs) Didn't. He didn't do it. uh, And the
0: result was predictably bad for the Bills. On the Bengals' side, for offense, Joe Burrow is not going to be stopped. He will not be stopped. He has a deep-seated belief that he is the best quarterback stepping onto the field in every game that he plays in. Now, I would say most starting quarterbacks in the NFL probably feel that way. They've been that for most of their life. NFL might be, in fact, the first time that they are not uh, the best quarterback on the field they step onto. But it's tough to say that Joe Burrow's wrong, looking at what he's done. I'm not saying he's the most talented. He is not the most talented quarterback in the NFL but it's hard to argue that he's not the best unless the guy across the field is a healthy Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Other than that, looking at what Joe Burrow has accomplished in his run with the Bengals and what he's been given to do that, it's very difficult to argue with Burrow that he's the second best quarterback overall playing in the NFL right now. That is one of those things in the same way, in the same breath that we talk about Mahomes being on the field and saying, well, if Mahomes is on the field and he's healthy, the Chiefs have a chance. It's the same with Burrow in Cincinnati. There is no difference. I would say, you know, straight up, healthy Mahomes, healthy Burrow. I'll take Mahomes just because he can do a few more things. But after that, there's nobody I'm taking over Joe Burrow because he has that killer instinct. We've talked about it over and over again. And they did. They came in with an edge. They came in pissed off. They came in angry that the league had assumed that Buffalo KC was going to be the thing and overlooked them who'd made the Super Bowl last year. They felt disrespected. They were on edge. And it all showed. And they took it out all out on Buffalo. And as a result, they're going to get that rematch with the Chiefs. And, man, we're going to talk about it, but Burroughs
1: 3-0 and versus the Chiefs. Like I know. It's, it's the one team that yep. they just... Yeah, like I, I would take the Chiefs over the field, other than Cincinnati. You know, they, they are it's the it's the boogeyman, man. Um, and now on your note on on Burrow being the second best quarterback in the league to healthy Mahomes, the fact that you're giving the second best quarterback in the league every third down is third and one, third and two, third and four because because Joe Mixon is like just walking his way to six yards to carry. You're not gonna win. You're not going to win. Like, I don't know about you, because I was watching that game on stream, and I know you were watching probably over at Mm B-Dubs. It felt over after the first quarter. Like, it it felt like there was nothing Buffalo could do. It felt
0: faded to me. And I don't mean F-A-D-E-D. I mean F-A-T-E-D. It seemed like the string had run out because Buffalo wasn't able to flex. And we said, look, if Joe, if Joe, sorry, if Josh Allen being a superhero runs out, right, the way they're playing, the amount they're leaning on Josh Allen, right, if that runs out, if he's not able to go out there and complete five, seven big time throws in a game, they're not going to be able to say, okay, okay, Devin Singletary, go win us the game. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, You know, Dawson Knox, go be Travis Kelsey or Dallas Goddard or or whoever else, and win us the game. That's just not the way they've been operating all year. And so, here we come to a game where conditions weren't great. I mean, Buffalo might have loved them, but look, if you're trying to orchestrate a high octane passing game. it was not the best conditions for that uh, as yeah. evidenced by both teams passing numbers and they didn't have another punch and the Bengals had lots of other punches and the end result looked like yeah probably from about halftime unless something radically changes here unless Joe Burrow gets wiped out on a blitz this is probably going to end with the Bengals going on and it looks like You know, based on the play we've seen on the field, that's not a fluke.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, (laughs) Bill's Twitter for the next three months talking about B. John Robinson is going to be fascinating in the the quest for finding that alternate punch, I'll tell you that much.
0: Look, Bill's have some serious questions going forward. This offseason, it's already started, right? When you have that much pent-up energy... And we, we witnessed it. We were in Buffalo this year. We understand what that team means to that city and how much is invested in their success. And that success is now over for this season. It's a very successful season, not so in their eyes because the expectation was higher. The expectation was Super Bowl and win it. And they fell short of that. So it's already started. All that energy doesn't just dissipate. People don't just breathe out and go on with their life. They have to <laughs> focus. Especially not there. No. You know, they yeah. need to focus all this focus that they've had on the team and refocus it on something else. And it's it's already diving into all of these questions. It, this was their year from the get-go. Everybody said so. I We predicted them to be in the Super Bowl in our preseason predictions uh, episode. And it didn't happen. And then that's gonna have a somewhat predictable result. What are they gonna to have to change to overcome all this phenomenal talent? The Burroughs and the Mahomeses that inhabit the AFC, because that's that's the rare air. They I'll, can... I'll
1: tell you what they have to change. I'll tell you what So there, there's a there's a kid from Baylor built like a brick shit house. Go draft him. <laughs> there's a running back, actually, there's two running backs from Texas that Uh, Just bully people for a living. Go draft one of them. If not, go get the kid from Bama. Uh, Take whatever corner you like. Any of them. Don't even care at this point. Take one. Just because. And then take another receiver that runs 4-3 that can catch. Doesn't matter who. Take one of them. And then if you got time, draft some (laughs) some day day three big bodies on offensive line for depth. That's what you got to do. Because the team is great, but good lord, those holes up front. Are just they're real, they're real. And if you're going up against a team that is tough and nasty and angry, like Cincy, um, or Baltimore, or uh, you know when they're healthy, dare I say uh, Pittsburgh, like especially next year, you got to get tougher. You got to get tougher. You do. Like they they they're they're the flashiest team in the league when it's all working, but. When it all came down to it, in the snow against another tough team, they were soft. Like I'm trying not to be mean here, but they were soft, and I think Bills fans would would agree with that. So, you know, if if that Baylor kid, I, I'm, his name is escaping me right now, uh, you know, Siaki just, yeah, yeah, uh, Vitavea wearing green is what I call him. Like if he's there, sign me up, because good lord, if he was on the field for them, that actually might have made a big difference. You know, it really would have. There's going to be a lot of conversation
0: all off season. We can guarantee that. We'll hear a lot of it. Um, we're friends with a lot of those folks. It It's going to be animated offseason discussion about the changes the bills need to make to, again, not only get back to this level, which is a very difficult thing to do in its own right, but to exceed, to get to that Super Bowl and to win it, because that is the expectation in that city 100%.
1: All right, let's get to our last divisional recap before we get to the conference championship previews. Cowboys 49ers. Uh, This one was even more painful to watch, especially if you're a Cowboys fan. And for me, you know, the game was more on Dak Prescott, or rather the loss was more on Dak Prescott than Mike McCarthy, if we're talking about percentages. But McCarthy came real close (laughs) towards the end for, for trying to take the majority. The clock management... Again, what, third year in a row? Like, how yeah. how many times? Even going back to Green Bay, how many times are we going to do this where there's just horrible clock management or game management at the end of the half or at the end of the game, you know, five minutes out when I was sh- streaming? It was like four or five minutes left in the game, and I was like, call timeout, Mike. Call timeout. Because right now, when you're down, you're down by seven, I think it was. Time is more important than timeouts. And he was saving all these timeouts on the off chance that they were going to stop the 49ers and then, you know, if they uh, if they then had a three and out, they were banking on using the timeouts to to you know, when the 49ers were trying to bleed the clock back to stop that so they could get the ball back again. And to me, that's a really shitty way to approach it. I would rather use the timeouts early to keep like three and a half to four minutes on the clock, because if you get the ball back at that point, and then you go three and out, you at least then still have somewhere. Ideally, if you're just passing the ball around three minutes left, right with no timeout. So you can get a quick, uh, you can get a quick stop. And then there's another play at like two 25, 2.20, And then you got the two minute warning and then you can get another stop on top of that. And so theoretically you're getting the ball back with like 115ish even if you still have no timeouts on the back end, right? You're still mathematically if everything goes your way, you're getting the ball back with about 115 with no timeouts, not 50 seconds with no timeouts. So on aggregate, on aggregate, best case scenario that would have at least saved them about 25 seconds if they went three and out. But to me it feels like they were planning on not going three and out. And I get it. If you're an offensive coach, you plan to not go three and out, but you have to at least consider the possibility. You have to consider the possibility that you take an early down sack or Dak misses a throw, or you get a drop and it's third and 10, which it was. And then you're, you're screwed, right? It seemed like it never occurred to them that they were only going to get one chance and they were planning to have two. And it's like, no, if, you, if you're planning to only have one by design based on bleeding a, a minute 20 off the clock on purpose, you are planning on only having one chance. And you're putting all your marbles on that one chance with a quarterback who had thrown two picks at that point and damn sure tried to throw three. So for me, and I, I hope this is making sense for people that are listening on audio because I know I'm just rambling here. Time is more important than timeouts. If you're down by seven with, like, four to five minutes left to go, call timeout. Give yourself a chance for two possessions, not for one. Because if you only give yourself one decent possession, then you're ending it up with, like, inside your own five-yard line with no timeouts. And you have to have Zeke snapping the ball and throwing to Turpin to get fucking folded by a DB immediately, right? Like, that's, that's what we ended up with because of that time management situation. So, Dak was bad. He threw picks. He cost them points. But Mike McCarthy did absolutely nothing to ensure that he would get an extra chance at the end of the game. At least a real, honest chance at the end of the game. And that, to me, falls on him.
0: Well, this is Ass Backwards. I was going to talk about how cool this game was. (laughs) Because (laughs) this is a classic NFL playoff game. I talked about lore in the preview and that these two teams... uh, have a strong history in the playoffs it's been a while but and look the broadcast team brought that up multiple times with montages and alumni on the field and everything else so that was that aspect got played up but certainly the first i would say three quarters delivered this was a defensive slugfest nobody got anything going no touchdowns in the first half well <laughs> a touchdown but no extra point first half um a very low scoring affair and it was a great atmosphere. Both teams threw their best punches, and it was really, really even until it wasn't. Again, mm-hmm. I said this is going to be a theme for the show, execution in the biggest moments. The 49ers, like the Chiefs, more hung on and survived, just kept pounding, just kept doing their thing. I realize keep pounding is a Carolina thing, but like they said, ooh, look, when we run the ball... We can make some cracks here. We can make some headway. We're making that. We weren't in the first half, but it's starting to work. Elijah Mitchell is starting to get pushed behind that offensive line. We're just going to keep going, keep the hammer down, and then you know, look, we're going to get a big play to kittle and you know, we're going to get a few things. And they hung on and they won the game. Dallas had their chances to answer. It's not like the 49ers boat raced them. Quite the opposite. This was a deadlock game through almost 3 quarters. Dak has those moments. People on Twitter called those career defining moments and I would agree with them. These are the brightest lights and the biggest stages and how people are going to remember you. And Dak is going to be haunted a little bit by what he did or was unable to do in that moment cuz he didn't. Mm-hmm. He basically sputtered and died in that moment and it, you know, the Cowboys chances went with him. Now, it is a team sport, but at that point, you are looking at your leaders. You are looking at your highest-paid players. You are looking at your highest-profile players and say, go make a play. Now, they did earlier in the game. The bomb to C.D. Lamb, that's a big-time play by Dak and by C.D. Super impressive pitch and catch. Big play in a big game. You need some more of those down the stretch, and they didn't get him. They had time for him late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and they got nothing, and at that point, The momentum started to shift. You can say what you want to about momentum, but you could just tell. The weight of the 49ers, tsunami, wave, whatever it was, just kept pressing. They kept doing the same things. Not like they came out with a wildly different plan and said, aha, this is a look you've never seen, which Shanahan will do occasionally. They said, nope, I think we're stepping on their necks right now. We're just going to keep rolling and see if we can get enough yards, eventually get enough points. We'll take the field goal at this point because (laughs) ours is better than theirs in terms of kickers. They held their line. It was barely enough, but that's what championship teams do.
1: And the Mm -hmm. 49ers did it, and the Cowboys couldn't, and that's that. I think your, your point about them not coming out and doing anything wildly different is valid. But they did make a very slight adjustment that I felt, did make a big difference in terms of the 49ers offense compared to the the Dallas defense, right? Dallas defense overall did their job. But we saw in the second half when they started leaning on Eli Mitchell inside. um, And I was kind of of tracking this in real time because going into the game, I was like, okay, Cowboys have only seen four snaps of 21 personnel the entire year, right? True 21 personnel. The only fullback they played against was Kari Blas in game for like four plays. So I was like, okay, They've, they haven't seen anything like this. So I, I didn't really know what to expect in terms of how they were going to match up. I kind of had my own theories. I thought they were going to go to like a 5-2 service with Micah as the weak side edge. They came out entirely differently. They played Nickel into 21 personnel with Micah as the Sam, the stand-up Sam over Kittle, right? And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. I don't know if that's going to work. Uh it really did work early on. And, and they were doing their normal outside zone stuff out of 21 personnel, and the interior defensive line came to play. D-Law came to play. Micah set a hard edge, and they stopped it over and over and over again. The adjustment that Kyle made, and to your point, not a big adjustment. They've done a lot before, but a minor adjustment that the Cowboys did not have an answer for was they started calling counter because they're like, okay, you're going to call nickel, into 21 personnel, and we can't hit on these scoop blocks on your nose and on your three-tech. They keep beating us on these scoop blocks and not giving any cutback lanes. So we're not even going to try to do that. We're going to call counter. We're going to pin you in place. We're going to pull Kittle. We're going to pull use check. We're going to run this, like I guess you call it HY or YH counter, right? And we're going to pin you guys in place because we're big and strong and we could do all that. And then we're going to have... 265-pound Kittle and 250-pound use check coming at you with a quickness right up the hole because check can kick out the edge regardless of who it is. He can kick out the edge. And then here comes Kittle right up the gut, taking on like a safety or Vander Esch or whoever. And that's not a fair fight either, right? And so they switched from zone to a lot more of this gap scheme stuff out of 21 personnel. And the Cowboys took way too long to stop being in nickel. Because they couldn't stop it, and they they tried a couple different things. You know, they 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 tried a different nickel package, which was like more like a, a five one, uh, where they brought in Anthony Barr and Micah to be the edges, and three big bodies in the middle, and Van Der Esch in the back, and that still didn't work either. It took them too long to adjust. But by at that point, you know, Eli got his yards. Um, they got uh, I think it was two more scoring drives off of that, right? And, uh, and the Cowboys offense was playing so bad. Well, really, the Cowboys quarterback was playing so bad that that suddenly became an insurmountable hole. So it, it was a great little micro-adjustment by Kyle to start calling runs that they don't normally call. It's like a 6% rate for them calling counter leading into this game. So they don't call it that often. But as soon as they saw that nickel, they're like, we got to lean into it. And they did it, and it worked. So credit to Kyle for that. Um you know, I, I just think my main point is beyond that little game within the game, playoff football often comes down to who's the best quarterback and who's the best coach. And in this game, believe it or not, Brock Purdy was the better quarterback and Kyle Shanahan, by far, was the better coach. And this is the result we get.
0: And as a result, we get, I I do truly think, the two best teams in the NFC – playing in the championship game. Now, Cowboys fans will howl and say they don't believe that. The results bear that out over the year, and I do think that's the case in this game. Was it close? Yeah. This game was really close for three quarters. This game was within a field goal for three quarters. Mm -hmm. That is as close as you're going to get. That is two or three plays either way for either team makes the difference until – the 49ers sort of wait, just push the Cowboys down, and that was the end of it. They ended up winning this one. I don't want to say handily, but I would say decidedly. Before that, it was an even toss-up, and that was surprising. Cowboys laid out their best shot. Their defense came to play. They held what is has been an incredibly potent offense to like nine points for more mm-hmm. than the first half of play. That's a really good effort. It fell short. They were close. But in the end, it feels like we get the two best teams in the NFC playing for the title and the chance to go represent the Super Bowl. It's a good result for the league. I realize if you're a Cowboys fan, it's really difficult to swallow. Some of it does land on the shoulders of your head coach. Some of it lands on the quarterback, but some of it lands on McCarthy as well. And That's not really a surprise if you've watched McCarthy's Path through the league either.
1: All right, uh, that seems like a pretty good time to wrap up this show. Um, thank you to everybody for watching. Make sure to come back tomorrow, where we're gonna be previewing the conference championship matchups based on everything uh, that we talked about today because a lot of this translates into the next opponent, obviously. We've got the best of the best, uh, you know coming this weekend. Each and I are gonna be watching it from Vegas. So based on those results, we'll do our Super Bowl preview from vegas when we're at shrine bowl we have a lot more content uh draft specific content coming from shrine bowl prospect interviews you know daily recaps of practice you know talking about what's going on over in mobile at senior bowl while we're in vegas so we have a we have a ridiculous ridiculous amount of content coming hope you guys enjoy it and uh, until tomorrow later take care